Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm just so happy to be back in the studio. Thank you, everyone who participated last week in the uh, Spring Share. It just overwhelmed us, and I'm going to be saying this for a while because it uh, it is spectacular what the listeners have done to continue to support Faith Radio. And it's just uh, kind of an emotional deal. I know there was uh, a lot of kind of teary-eyed people at the end of last week partly due to exhaustion, partly due to uh, just the overwhelming response. And we often say how much we love our listeners, and we really do. So um, it's going to be a great hour coming up. Uh, Becky Pippert is my guest. She's uh, an author and a speaker and has traveled all over the world. She's got really an incredible touch when it comes to evangelism, and we're going to talk to her. She's written 11 books, and her, uh, her book, Out of the Salt Shaker, came out years ago, and she has now come up with a kind of an updated version, I believe, called Stay Salt, and it helps Christians to share their faith in today's world confidently and effectively, and you're going to love our time with her. We'll take a little break, and we'll be right back. God doesn't want us to worry. Here's Dr. Linda Mintel. Everyone worries, don't they? Well, just listen to the nightly news or read the economic forecast or even talk to your family. Opportunities to worry present themselves many times during our day. So why would God tell us not to worry when it almost seems like it's impossible? First, he knows the physical damage worry does to our bodies. Second, he wants to calm us down by taking the burden of control away from us. Hey, we don't have control. No matter how much we think we do, he does. And third, he wants us to trust him. The root of worry is doubting God. Doubt is not trusting that God is who he says he is, or he will do what he says he will do. So every day, take your worries to God, rehearse his goodness, accept his grace, and walk in the confidence that he is in control and he's working all things for your good. Be at peace today and know that God has got you no matter what. Becky Pippert is my guest. She's a incredible speaker, evangelist, and author of 11 books. And I, I think Stay Salt is a companion to Out of the Salt Shaker, but I'm going to ask her myself. Becky, welcome. Hi, it's good to be with you, Bill. Thank yeah. you for having me. Yeah. First of all, i got to admit I'm a big fan. And I think <laughs> in about 2003, I bought your book, Hope Has Its Reasons. And ah. I just tell you, that's an amazing book. Yeah, thank you so much. In many ways, it was the hardest book I ever wrote because it was both for some, it's for Christians, but it's also to give non-Christians. But I, I'm glad you like that. I like that book yeah, too. Yeah, and just so you know, I, I paid full retail for it. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, I figured, I figured you'd like hearing that. So is, is Stay Salt a kind of a, a companion book to Out of the Salt Shaker? It's, I'm... Bill, I'm glad you asked me that because it isn't a sequel 
Um, and why did I write it? I, I, of course, I did Out of the Salt Shaker a long time ago. That was my first book. Um, but I have been involved in evangelism ministry for a long time. And what I realized is the world has changed so much since I wrote Out of the Salt Shaker. And I thought, we need something today. It isn't that the gospel has changed, um, but the world has changed. The world has changed dramatically. And so I wanted to write a book to help Christians, particularly those who I am not gifted as an evangelist. I'm no good at it. So I wanted to help everybody learn how to share the good news for such a time as this. And the interesting thing is, of course, the title is Stay Salt, but the tagline is uh, the world has changed. Our message must not. Now, I was in my mind because the book just came out this week. So in my mind, I'm thinking the world has changed when I wrote out of the salt shaker, never dreaming the book would come out right in the midst of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. So the world has changed again and again. And that's why I wrote Stay Salt, to help you for such a time as this. Did I hear you say, Becky, that you don't think of yourself as a, a good evangelist? Um, well... What did I hear you say? I just got to check that. Yeah, no, I didn't say um, that... Oh, I know what you heard me say. Okay. I said I wrote this book because most of the Christians... We have done training and, and giving evangelistic outreaches all over the world. And what we hear, again, my husband and I, is, well, I, I would I would share my faith. I can't. I go, why? And they go, because I'm inadequate. And I go, well, of course you're inadequate. I'm <laughs> inadequate. Uh -huh. We're all inadequate. Isn't that wonderful? And isn't it wonderful to know that God is the great evangelist and he uses us in our weakness. So that's the point I was making. Now, I think God actually has gifted me as an evangelist, but nevertheless, um, most of us are not. So how are we able for God to use us as we are? And I think one of the great lessons I've learned is that um, God is the great evangelist and he loves using us in our weakness. He has always used Christians in their weakness. So we don't have to be worried about it. Uh, we can expect him to use us just the way we are. Mm -hmm. I was talking uh, earlier to a guest and he came to faith because somebody opened this little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws and walked it through it with him. And then all of a sudden it was like, all right, this is what I want to do. And I know that in today's world, it's like we have a lot more layers when it comes to evangelizing. We have to be relational, but we also have to tell truth, too. So how do we find that balance, Becky? Yeah, that's a very, very good point. Because when we look at Jesus' way, um, is exactly what you're saying, Bill, that we have to express love and be involved in relationship. Um, and that's terribly important. But we also have to speak truth. I think one of the first things we do is we look at Jesus. And when we look at Jesus, what do you see? What you see is Jesus was radically identified in love and radically different in holiness. Now, how do we mm. do that? How do we take those two very different things where we are to walk alongside of people in love and compassion without compromising our witness? And so one of the things that has helped me so much 
is looking at Jesus' style. And when you look at his style, what you notice is that Jesus didn't preach the gospel first. When Jesus is communicating with unbelievers, you see him asking questions, looking at, okay, where are their obstacles for faith? What is holding them back? And then when he began to share the good news, the good news is the same, but the way he introduced it was so different because it depended on the person he was speaking to. So he talks to the woman at the well in John 4, and here's this woman in a very traditional culture in the first century, in Jesus' uh, you know, culture, that would be ostracizing her because she had had five husbands and the man she was living with now was not her husband. And what does Jesus talk about? He talks about thirst and how you can keep coming to the same place. Now, in her case, that was man after man after man. You keep coming back and you're still thirsty. Well, what I have to give, you will never be thirsty again. And you will never have to keep coming back and drawing water because the water I give wells up to eternal life. But just the chapter before with Nicodemus, the great leader, Jewish leader, great teacher, he goes, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. You've got, you've got to be changed from the inside out. And it's, it's heaven sent. It isn't something that you can do on your own. So in other words, pay attention to who people are. And a little bit later, maybe in the show, I can give you a practical example of how to implement the way Jesus went about talking to people, but how I do it anyway. Oh, I, I would love that, Becky. When I'm thinking of evangelism today, I wonder if, and you can shine beautiful light on this because I know you will, do we find ourselves being so self-saturated that we are thinking about ourselves more than thinking about Christ when it comes to sharing our faith? Oh, I think that is absolutely true. Absolutely true that we are so um, nervous. We're so certain that because we're not gifted at evang- as evangelists, um, that God can't use us. Um, and, and we're so consumed with fears. In fact, um, probably when I listen to Christians and why are they so reluctant to share their faith? First of all, the thing that I think that that we don't realize is that God is the great evangelist, as I've already said, and he's delighted to use us in our weakness. But I think another reason why we're reluctant to share our faith is because we think it means memorizing some outline, (laughs) using it on some poor victim and running away as fast as we can. Now, That was sort of the older version of what evangelism, how we understood evangelism. When I wrote out of the salt shaker, that was the view. I think, um, and of course, that isn't the way that Jesus shared the gospel, but I think we have a different problem today. I think we're redefining evangelism in a way that isn't biblical. Bill, I don't know if you hear this, but I hear this all the time in the West, particularly, and in America. They go, well, Our task is to demonstrate the gospel, not to tell the gospel. And what I hear endlessly quoted is an idea that they attribute to Francis of Assisi. Mm. and, And the quote is, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Now, there is no historical evidence that Francis of Assisi ever said it, 
And if he did say it, he was wrong. <laughs> because what is the biblical understanding yeah. of evangelism? I think it involves three things. I think first it's who we are, that we are to demonstrate Christ's love and his character. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit and the word of God to keep changing us. Um, so it's who we are. It's what we do. Now, it is true that um, people need to see the visual demonstration of the gospel. We do care about justice. We do care about the poor. But, Bill, where we're so weak is not just who we are. It's not just what we do, but it's what we see. And that is where we are so, so weak uh, in evangelism. That is absolutely our weakest point is we just aren't sure what to say. Now, this gets back to why are we so self-consumed? Okay, probably, as I've already said, the thing I hear more than anything else is, as I said, I would share the gospel, but I'm just so inadequate. But we are inadequate. We are creatures. We are not the creator. Why do we think we have to be able to answer every single question? Why do we think that we have to, oh, well, I've got to present the gospel absolutely perfectly. Mm. We're not perfect, and we are inadequate. Now, when the Apostle Paul, he got really tired of his weakness, and he said to the Lord, who is in heaven now, the risen Christ, he goes, take away this thorn in my flesh. I can't stand it. And what did the risen Lord say to Paul? My grace is mm. sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Wow. We can never use that excuse anymore. Yeah. You know? And then what did Paul say? Well, all right then. I'm going to boast all the more gladly about <laughs> my weaknesses so that Christ's power rests on me. This is so important. That I actually dedicated the first section of my book on what I call the means. In other words, we're weak, we're inadequate. How do we learn how to depend on the Holy Spirit? Oh, that's great. What does God give us that enables us? Yeah, Becky. So yeah. Yeah, let me take just a short break. Becky sure. Pippert is my guest. The book that's just out is called Stay Salt. The world has changed. Our message has not. We'll be right back. I'm back with Becky Pippert. She's written 11 books. The one we're chatting about is just out called Stay Salt. The world has changed. Our message has not. Becky, I've got all these questions for you. Some are um, a little bit um, uh, not about the book. Say, where did you get stuck in the lockdown? <laughs> yes, uh, I am in uh, uh, Holland, Michigan. Okay. And we have, uh, although we actually are only back for about two years. We lived in the UK and did ministry all over Europe, the most secular place in the world. Mm -hmm. We came back two years ago, still travel around the world until COVID. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, we've been here in Holland, Michigan. Yeah. And of course, I see your um, your new book, Stay Salt, has a foreword by Robbie. Uh, very sad about his state right now. Oh, I know. I know. Such a magnificent man. Oh, my goodness. And uh, we are praying for him daily. 
Yeah. In case your listeners don't know, he has a very rare and aggressive form of cancer. And um, so he was at uh, one of the best clinics in the country, in the world, really. But uh, they, they have now sent him home and said, you know, really, apart from supernatural healing, he will be with the Lord. Mm. So I know that he would greatly appreciate prayer. Well, our station is um, aware of that. We have him on the station here, and we, we love him and are praying for him. So, yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. All right, well, let's just uh, drift back into evangelism now. Um, okay. You know, when we talk about people kind of full of themselves or they're afraid to look stupid or inadequate, I think we're at a time in our world, too, where there's a lot of people trying to hit up Christians with gotcha questions. They try to reduce them into a category as quickly as possible. Well, you're a Christian, so what? What are you like against gay marriage or something? I mean, they're they're mm-hmm. trying to reduce you so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and how would you encourage people to respond? I, I've got my own theory, but what I'd love to hear what you would say if somebody came okay. out swinging with something like that. Right. Um, that's that is you know I had said before that the thing that we probably hear the most is I can't witness because I'm inadequate. Why it's so right. important why I, you know, had written the first section on the means about being human in God's power and the power of the Holy Spirit. Second thing I hear all the time is, well, I just don't know. I don't understand the gospel. What if they push back? What do I say? Second section is all about the message. But now the thing you're asking is the third section of the book, and that is the model. And it's exactly what you're saying. What if I deal with somebody who's really aggressive and immediately tries to buttonhole me and put me in a corner. Um, That's one thing I hear. Or I am so afraid. Well, I guess that is part of fear. But what if they ask me a question I can't answer? What if I offend them? By the way, I'm going to get right to your question in a second. But but some of the fears we have are really so easily answered. What if they ask me a question I can't answer? Well, they are. They're going to ask you that all the time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What do you say? You say, that's a fantastic question. I have a clue what the answer is, (laughs) but I can't wait to find out. Mm -hmm. I am so glad I'm talking to you. That is so important because they see we're real. and And they see that we're not... Um, we're authentic and we want a genuine dialogue. People are open to spiritual conversations. They just don't want to be preached to and they don't want to feel that we're not listening. Or what if I offend? Well, if you're afraid of offending, why don't you tell them so? Why don't you say, you know what? I really love, uh, I really love God and I've come to know him through Jesus. And I'm excited about a Christian, about being a Christian. But I also don't like people pushing something down my throat. So if I am coming on like um, in a way that isn't being sensitive, would you let me know? Now, why doesn't that occur to us that if we're afraid of offending, we can simply tell them that we don't like Bible bashers and we don't want to be one. Mm. Now, what do you do when you're talking to somebody and you feel that they're putting you um, immediately into a category. They have a strong stereotype. All right. In the conversation having with somebody, number one, no matter who it is, but particularly if it's somebody, no, no, no matter who it is, if you know them well, if you don't know them well, shoot up a quick prayer. Shoot up a very quick prayer. Mm -hmm. Silently. 
<laughs> saying, Lord, help me. Yes. Secondly, try and find common ground. You don't immediately start out. Because you were saying, what if they say, oh, yeah, you're a Christian. You're one of those. Right. Oh, and I'll, Well, that's not how anybody starts out a conversation. How you begin a conversation is common ground. What do you have in common? Now, why is that so important? Once you discover what you have in common and you begin to connect as human beings, when they do discover you're a Christian, they can't put you in the box you're talking about mm -hmm. because they already know we're connected. I like you. For example, um, I was on a plane not too long ago, although the story is, is in the book, and um, I, I heard immediately his English accent. And because we lived there, I knew he was from London. I knew that was the type of accent he had. And he was very English. He was very reserved and all of that. So I'm sitting next to him and I'm just kind of observing. I prayed that God would open up a conversation. And at one point I said to him, uh, I always love to hear somebody speaking English who's from London. He goes, how did you know I'm from London? Americans can't usually identify different English accents. I said, oh, I live there. I said, well, I lived first in my husband and I in Northern Ireland, then in Oxford, then in London. And he said, how long have you lived there? I said, seven years. He goes, I can't believe it. I've lived in America for seven years. I bet we talked a half an hour about how comparing each other's cultures. Now, normally, I don't think I would have this quickly jumped right in, but he goes, okay, Becky, this is a half an hour later. Why, why are you flying to Arizona? And I said, uh, because I'm speaking at a Christian conference. And he said, oh, I'm an agnostic. I have no interest whatsoever in talking about spiritual things. Now, what did Jesus say? We're to be fishers of men, not hunters of men. And even <laughs> mm -hmm. when somebody goes, no, 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 I don't want to, at least throw out a little more bait just to make sure they're not interested. So I said, that is fascinating that you're an agnostic because I was an agnostic once. And I'm just curious if your reasons for not wanting to talk about spiritual things <laughs> are the same as mine were. And he goes, well, okay, I don't want to be rude, but how would you even know that Jesus existed? I said, what a fantastic question. Always affirm the question. And I said, that was exactly my question. Now this is where apologetics is helpful, where you've got a little bit of defense of the faith. And I, so I talked a little bit about how do we know that Jesus existed and other, you know, historians that wrote about Jesus. And he goes, Becky, that's really interesting. But I've got another question. How do you even know the New Testament is historically reliable? Now, listen, people don't want to be buried in a sea of evidence. Right. But if you just put on a little card for yourself, all right, what are just points I could make? So I summed it up very quickly. Yeah. Hey, Becky. How you could, yeah. Um, do you have more time? Can you stay talking? Okay. Because I'm up against a break now that I can't, uh, I can't, Absolutely. I have no flexibility with. So. Sorry, I don't know when your breaks are. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm breaking 27 seconds here, but we'll be right back uh, with Becky Pippert. Um, so glad she's with me today. And her book is Stay Salt. The world has changed. Our message has not. Be right back.
All right, we are back with Becky Pippert. She's uh, written 11 books. The one we're chatting about today is her new one out called Stay Salt. The world has changed. Our message has not. Becky, you had us on a cliffhanger right before the break about this conversation you're having with this English gentleman on an airplane. Exactly. All right, so we looked at how you begin with a silent prayer. You look for common ground. Um, Then you ask questions to find out where they are. And you fish. You don't hunt. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so you're finding out, you know, uh, um, uh, who they are and what their obstacles of faith, you know, what they are, et cetera. Okay, so where we were is that um, he goes, yeah, well, okay, how do you even know Jesus existed? And that's another thing. It helps to know a little bit of apologetics. If you're meeting somebody that really has a lot of intellectual resistance to faith, it's just helpful. Um, but there's all different kinds of people. Anyway, then he goes, okay, how do you know the Bible is even historically reliable? And again, you don't have to be a scholar. Mm-hmm. You just need to know what historians, you know, what they have said about why. Um, now, obviously, not everyone agrees with this, but there's been very good scholarship on why the New Testament documents are historically reliable, but you don't bury somebody. You're not lecturing them. Right. So I gave a few points. And then he said, this is, this is so interesting, because now I really got his obstacle to faith. He said, Becky, I cannot get over. We are actually having a rational conversation about the evidence for Christianity. He said, I have had some Christians talk to me about their faith, but when I press them for evidence, they just argue on the experiential level, and so I won't listen to them. Mm-hmm. But he said, now, this is fascinating because he said, all right, I'm going to ask you to do something I've never let another Christian do before. Would you summarize the essence of the Christian message and tell me how you became a Christian? Wow. Now, we call that an evangelistic opportunity, Becky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, I am hearing the um, wheels come down. And oh, no. Says, On the plane? Yeah. On the plane. Okay. And I always say, when we're doing evangelism training, I always say, you need different, to be able to communicate the gospel in different um, time frames. This was the short gospel because (laughs) I knew I had very little time. So I very quickly explained the gospel, very quickly said how I had gone from agnosticism. I wasn't raised a Christian. I'm the first person in my family to become a Christian. I share the gospel with him. Now, guess what he says? He said, Becky, there's something I need to tell you. What you don't know about me is that my wife recently became a Christian. Well, she became a Christian in about the last seven or eight years. And he said, we have three children and she now takes her children to church. She prays at meals of which I have no objection to. Um, because I think it's good to get a strong moral basis. You know, that's where he was coming from. But he said, Becky, my six-year-old son said to me last night, Daddy, why don't you ever pray or go to church? And he said, Becky, I laid my head on the pillow last night, and my son's question just haunted me. And then he said, Listen, do you have any books that are on these subjects? And in fact, I said, look, it's funny. Yeah, I said, uh, I wrote a book called um, Hope Has His Reasons, the book you uh, referred to. I said, Ravi Zacharias is another one, Oz Guinness. I said, I'm going to send you some of these books, but I'm also going to send you 
a Bible study that I wrote for skeptics because I it's what I call a seeker Bible study. I mm -hmm. didn't say that to him, but I said, you need to find out what Jesus is like. So I said, anyway, I'm going to send you several things. We get out of the plane. We get our luggage. He turns around. And as we, after we said goodbye, he turns around and he goes, Becky, please don't forget to send me those books. Mm. Now, this was the man who said to me, I have absolutely no interest in talking about spiritual things. And guess what? He turned out to be a Christ haunted man who only the night before laid his head on the pillow, wondering how on earth to answer his son. And what did we learn from that? People are more open than we know. And God is the great evangelist. He is always seeking people. And you think this was by accident that the Lord knows that man is saying, how do I answer my son? I don't know what to say to him. I feel haunted. And the next day we're seated next to each other. Yeah. That's the thrilling thing about oh, who God is. It couldn't be any it, more thrilling. Oh, I know. I know. And then listen, people are different. I had many, many different kinds of conversations. That happened to be one where he needed sort of objective, rational evidence. But there's all different types of people. And uh, we need to learn from Jesus. And this is what I'm hoping my book will help people. How do you talk to different types of people? But here's the thing I have learned. Evangelism is easier than we think. If we follow Jesus' way of genuinely caring for people, compassionate, asking questions, finding out their obstacles of faith, listening, and then communicating the gospel in the way Jesus did, that spark curiosity and rouse their attention. It's easier than we think. But I also have to say, Bill, evangelism is harder than we might have imagined. One, because we're living in very challenging times. You know, that's why I wrote Stay Salt. But also, and pr primarily, because we have an enemy. And Satan will do whatever he can to absolutely scare us to death. Uh, but we've got to realize he's a defeated foe. And God wants to use us for such a time as this. And he delights in using the weak uh, because he is strong and he knows how to help us. So if we can keep that in mind, um, it will help us enormously. Mm-hmm. That common ground, Becky, is such a big deal. I mean, you can quite easily say to somebody, do you believe in God or do you struggle with God? Or what no. about the Bible or God have you had a hard time believing? You know, they can come no. up with something that you can say, <laughs> me too. <laughs> That's pretty exactly. hard to believe. And listen, one of the things I want to say is that we are in a remarkable time right now with COVID-19 because catastrophe at this level it gets everybody's attention. It's as if the fog is lifted and we can see reality more clearly. And what are people realizing? They're not in charge. They're afraid. They need help. They want hope. An agnostic friend called me just a week ago and she said, Becky, you know me. And you know, I always said, I'm the master of my destiny. But she said, what the coronavirus has opened my eyes to see is I'm not in control and I never was. And I said, how did you know you never were? Because you never gave me that idea. You always seem very confident. And she said, well, since coronavirus, what I've realized is that uh, if I'm God, 
what kind of God has to take medicine for anxiety? That isn't a kind of God that I want to worship. She said, uh, I don't know if there's a God, but I know this. I make a lousy God. And I said, oh, Sue, so do I. I said, all of us make lousy gods. I said, that is what moved me from agnosticism to faith in Christ. And now, for the first time, she is open to doing a Bible study on the person of Jesus. This is a remarkable time right now. And we need, I think we need to do two things. We need to pray for spiritual revival. Wouldn't it be amazing if we are on the precipice of a true spiritual revival? That is what I pray every day. Secondly, we need to prepare ourselves in evangelism, not just reading books, but reaching out to our friends uh, that do not know the Lord and go, how are you doing? Tell me about your, what, what, what's the hardest thing about it? Um, where are your anxieties? Can I pray for you on the phone or Zoom or whatever we do? Try and have a seeker Bible study on Jesus. Uh, there's an openness right now, Bill, that wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. And Becky, if I can um, point out something that you just said, which I think is really meaningful, and I hope my listeners didn't miss this. Mm-hmm. You were talking about my agnostic friend, and I'm thinking, mm-hmm. that's beautiful. You have a friend, someone you call a friend, you care about this friend, you love this friend, who also happens to be agnostic. I think sometimes we stay in our little Christian clubs way too often, and we only have Christian friends, and we only do things with Christian people. Oh, that is exactly right. It's why when I wrote Out of the Salt Shaker 40 years ago and Into the World, what was I saying? And it's the same thing I say today. Get out of your spiritual bubble. Get out of this Christian bubble. We have been commanded by the Lord to go and share the good news. And what I love about the command of the Great Commission, Jesus doesn't say, go ye therefore, all you extroverts, (laughs) all you evangelists, okay, and all you clergy, go and make disciples. The rest of you just hang out, sing some hymns, I'll be back. That's (laughs) not what the Lord says. He said, it isn't about your temperament. It isn't about whether you're gifted as an evangelist. That doesn't matter. You are, to, you, are to go, you are to go and be a witness, and we can do that. The more we look at Jesus, the more we lean on the Holy Spirit, the more we realize that God uses us in our weakness, we'll realize that uh, we have a thrilling opportunity to befriend unbelievers and at the right time to share the good news of Jesus. That's such an important thing you just said, Becky, because I, we always have to be reminding each other and saying this out loud that um, all you have to do is engage in a a conversation with somebody, get it started, find out, you know, people will be willing to talk about even spiritual woundedness. You know, I had this experience and I I thought, well, if God would allow that, well, then I'm not interested. And you can address that pain. You can address that brokenheartedness, just caring about another person and loving them through that little pain that they went through. I think, don't you think that's the root of a lot of people's? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. They need to know that we care. And the reason why we care is because God cares. You know, no matter what our pain, when we look at the gospel and we look at the cross and go, he loved us so much, he sent the most precious thing he had, his son. That's how much God loves this world. And he's a missional God. He says, look, 
I gave everything. I gave the best I have, says, says God the Father, and Jesus gave his life. That means God really cares and loves people, and he wants to use us to reach out with this wonderful news. I would love to hear um, a little bit earlier in the, in the discussion you talked about, you would give examples of how Jesus would uh, vary his means to share the gospel. But before you start that, I am going to take a break. Can you continue with us for another few minutes? Yes. Okay, good. Uh, Becky Pippert's my guest, and I've talked her into staying for another 12 minutes or so, which makes me very happy. <laughs> I was highly manipulative, but I did it, and it worked. So, uh, her, On air, yes. On air, yeah, of course not. Her book is Stay Salt, The World Has Changed, Our Message Has Not. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Becky Pippert is my guest. And we're talking about her book, Stay Salt. The world has changed. Our message has not. Jesus was quite the master when it came to uh, varying his means to share the gospel. Becky, I'd love to hear some great uh, examples of that. <laughs> well, I want to go back to the woman at the well, because here again was this, the context, of course, is a, a culture that was highly moral and a very, very conservative, what we would call um, um, third world countries will often call it a shame-based culture, meaning that um, there was just a high level of, of uh, expectation of li living, uh, leading moral lives. Well, he's talking, first of all, he's speaking to a woman. Now, rabbis, as I'm sure most of your listeners know, uh, religious leaders, they would never talk to a woman mm -hmm. in public. Furthermore, he breaks uh, racial uh, stereotypes and racial prejudices because he's a Jew and um, Jews would not uh, engage uh, with Samaritans. This woman was a Samaritan. So he's, she, you know, she's come, she comes to the well. He's seated, seated there because he's tired and thirsty and hungry. If you look at the context, uh, it's lunchtime and he's been ministering and the disciples go, all right, so the woman comes and he immediately engages in conversation. And one of the first things that shocks her is that he crosses the barrier of not only gender issues, but particularly racial issues. And there's such a sensitivity today as there should be about racism. And, uh, and so he said, will you give me a drink? And this is, again, this is the way Jesus, he's so brilliant at this, of just getting people's attention. And she goes, how could you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan? And then John puts in parentheses, for in that day, or in that culture, um, you know, Jews did not drink from the cup of, of Samaritans. And, they, and then Jesus is like, well, if you knew who was talking to you, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And I love it. Because she goes, living water? You can't give me living water. Why not? Because you don't have a bucket. <laughs> it's a very pragmatic woman. Uh -huh. He goes, oh, I don't need one. Now, what is he doing here? Rousing your curiosity. He goes, oh, I don't, I don't need that. Because the water I give will well up to eternal life. And you know that thirst, well, it would meet that thirst. And you would never have to come back here and draw. Okay. She says, then give me this water. Now I'm shortening it. And um, 
Then Jesus does say, um, yes, uh, before I give you the water, why don't you go and call your husband? Now, why did he say that? Because he wants to get the source of a real need. The source of her need is, or the evidence of her need, mm -hmm. of course, is that she has had five husbands and then she's living with now is not her husband, which Jesus prophetically says. All she says is, um, okay, I don't have a husband. And what does Jesus say? Thank you for telling me the truth because you're right. You've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. Thank you for telling me the truth. And of course, the, the thrill of it, when this is the, the amazing thing about Jesus is that he was able to express love and affirm the good that he saw while still telling the truth. I mean, that is such a challenging thing. Mm. How do you speak truth and at the same time lift someone up, not be judgmental in the sense of making them feel worthless? She was so stunned, she drops you know, her bucket and rushes to the village. Come meet a man that told me everything I've ever done. Can this be the disciple? Can this be the Messiah? The disciples come back. They cannot believe he is talking with a woman. They cannot believe he's talking with that kind of woman, et cetera, et cetera. Now, let's just take a little bit here. What are two principles that we could learn from that? One is that what you see Jesus doing is recognizing a need, understanding what her need was. And what you see him doing is in that need, he saw what they had in common. He was thirsty, so she. He was thirsty for water, but he establishes that human connection. She was thirsty, you know, for, for salvation, mm -hmm. for eternal life, for something that would finally meet that need. So that he operated on what they saw in common, explained the gospel based on what they had in common. Secondly, he affirmed the good. Now, I'm teaching this passage this was a long time ago in the deep south. And I said, look, one place you can start is look for what you have in common and affirm the good that you see in people. And I taught much more than that, but that was the beginning. Well, a woman comes up to me and she said she was an older woman, elderly, I would say. And she goes, Becky, I, got, I am so convicted because you've shown me again and again the love that Jesus had for non-Christians. I don't like non-Christians. I don't like how they act. I, I don't approve of their behavior. <laughs> I just, I am very judgmental. And, and in the past, I've been proud of it. But when you showed me what Jesus was like, I was so ashamed. So she said, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go. I'm going to ask God to open me up to unbelievers to give me his heart. Wow. That's an important prayer. Give me your heart and help me to find what we have in common and then to be able to affirm the good. About two days later after the conference, I run into her and she goes, you aren't going to believe what happened to me. Right after the conference, I got on a bus. I'm seated. And this guy walks in. He has a mohawk hairdo. He had tattoos <laughs> over his entire body. And he comes and he sits down next to me. And she goes, and I thought to myself, real Southern drunk. I bet that boy's on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> and then she went. Now, what did you just learn that Jesus, that Jesus didn't behave that way? She went, all right, all right. So he sits, sits down next to me and I went, let's look for something we have in common. And so you can see this woman, pearls and, you know, beautifully coiffed hair. 
So she looks at the guy with mohawk hair doing tattoos and she goes, that's not happening. I don't think that's a bridge too far. Then she went, all right, what was that second thing Becky said? Look for something you have in common. And she went, oh, Jesus, help me, help me. And then it hit her. And she turned to him and she said, son, I just want to congratulate you because I just noticed, praise God, all your tattoos are spelled correctly. <laughs> <laughs> that is where we start oh that's hysterical <laughs> isn't that funny but love people the way jesus did find what you have in common look for ways you can affirm them and when you're sharing the gospel do it on the basis of what their need and what their longing is and becky everybody is looking for um recognition affirmation do you notice me um, yeah. Do you care? Does anybody care? And when yeah. you think of sitting down next to someone, I think of John three eighteen. whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned. So you're, you're sitting next to a person. If they are outside the family of God, they're, they're not in a good place. No, they're not. And that's why it should break our hearts rather than what the woman was saying to me is I would know they're outside of the family of God, but I felt only judgment. And she said, when I looked at Jesus and I realized he felt compassion, it broke his heart and it took his life so that he may be able to bring others mm -hmm. to himself. Wow. If that doesn't soften your heart, I don't know what will. Yeah. Now, Becky, what about family relatives? Right. Well, I, I wasn't raised in, in um, a family of faith, as I said, and it took a long time, but one by one, and I mean, in my father's case, it took 30 years, but mm. one by one, I saw every member of my family come to Christ. Wow. And I learned a lot through that. One of the things I learned with my parents was that they were afraid, oh, Becky must think that um, we did it all wrong. You know, they were kind of ashamed that, you know, they, they hadn't, you know, raised us in faith in those, especially in the early years. And, and so what I began to say to them, I remember saying to my dad, who had never been raised in faith. And I said, Oh, dad, I am so glad God chose you to be my father. Oh, because it helped me to be able to because you love me. And you were such a good dad. It enabled me to ultimately trust an invisible father I cannot see to be and trust him to be good and loving because God gave me you for a, uh, you for a dad. Oh, you're killing me right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, now my mom, it's so beautiful my, and a little sneaky oh, too. Yeah. <laughs> my mom said, well, I tell you how I knew Becky was converted and I was converted my senior year of high school. And that is when she offered to do the dishes and it wasn't her turn. <laughs> okay, so that's a very different. My mom is quite pragmatic, you know, mm -hmm. but they, they it, often we think, oh, I've got to get in. I've got to be able to preach. I've got to be able to get it in. With parents, they need to see that our lives have changed and they need to see our love. And I, I remember when I went away to college, I'm the eldest of three. And, you know, my younger brother and sister were having the kind of typical problems teenagers do. <laughs> my dad said to me, honey, do you think you could get them into that club you're in? <laughs> I said, daddy, it's not a club. I believe in God uh, through Jesus Christ. That's what's changed my life. He goes, well, whatever, but it's done a lot of good for you. Okay. Now that it takes time. 
before they realize, wow, this really has been something that uh, has made a huge difference and it's been positive. But you got to be patient and you've got to pray and you've got to, it took a long time uh, for some of my family members, but oh my gosh, the joy I have in knowing I'm going to see my family in heaven. Yeah, it's so my beautiful. Mom, my mom died just uh, six months ago and I led her to the Lord all those years ago and I was with her as she breathed her last. And do you know what dawned on me when that happened? It was my birthday. Oh my. And I, it was so intense being with my mom through that. And I suddenly realized she brought me into life. I brought her through the spirit into spiritual life. And now I had the privilege of praying her into the, to the arms of Jesus. Mm. Oh boy. On the anniversary of the day she that. brought you into this world. Exactly. That's a beautiful story. Yeah. Well, Becky, thank you for hanging in there with me the whole time. I appreciate it. I didn't know how long I was going to be able to talk to you. So thank you for oh, sticking in there. It was such a privilege. It was such a privilege. Bill. I really loved it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Becky Pippert has been my guest in the book. If you just want to go buy all of them, that's the safest bet. Um, but the one we <laughs> chatted about today was called Stay Salt. The world has changed. Our message has not. Becky, have a good night. Thank you. You Thank too. You so God bless, Phil. God bless. That wraps up our show for the day. If you missed any of this, head over to MyFaithRadio.com and you can hear all of these interviews right from the beginning. Again, thank you so much for supporting Faith Radio last week. I'm going to be gushing for a while, so get used to it. Have a great night, everyone. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.